Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning, all of you incredible Christian people. Stand with me. Weather like this, I look and I go, yeah, this ain't for sissies, baby. I said all the hardcore people will be out today. You're hardcore people, hardcore believers. I love you. You are the, the, the Rangers, the Marine Corps of the faith. Hold your Bibles up high. Welcome all of you Coast Guards. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. And I boldly confess, my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. And I will never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as you can tell, we're doing a series entitled Burning Bridges. And obviously my number one thing, let me issue this disclaimer, is we're not trying to burn bridges between us and other people. Um, oftentimes when we have a problem, we attach the problem to someone else and someone else might have contributed to the problem someone else might have even started the problem but if we're not careful we personify the problem instead of realizing yeah they caused a problem uh and so as a result i'm going to burn the bridge between me and them now it doesn't mean you don't separate but it, means, it does mean that you don't ever take out the possibility of reconciliation. That's always something in our heart. Now, there may be a season, and it may be a long season, that you find yourself separated from someone who is a problem to you. They possess the problem that's causing you the problem, and that you separate from that. But the reality is that we have to, in our own heart and mind, realize that we are the ones that control the narrative in our own lives. And uh, that my response to that problem is more critical than the problem itself. Because you're always going to have people that are problematic. And uh, your response to that problematic individual is critical to your destiny and my destiny. So I have to be very careful how I respond. But what you carry with you inside will be revealed in, in your response to them. If you're very secure and you realize in a healthy way that it's not good for you to be around a person that continues to think the way another person thinks and behave the way they behave, you can separate yourself from that. Uh, some people would say, I'm going to cut them off. But no, you just separate yourself. Now, the real challenge is what you think about and what you talk about will create the turnabout in your life that causes you to cross back over the bridge of your past because you're familiar with it. This is what happened in, in Israel, in children of Israel in Egypt. Exodus 14.10, as Pharaoh approached, as you know, uh, 
Israel had finally been released out of captivity and bondage from Egypt. And Moses is leading them throughout the wilderness. And you've heard it said, I'm sure, many times, you can take the people out of Egypt, but it's really difficult to get the Egypt out of the people. You can take the world out of a person, take the person out of the world, but getting the world out of the person is often difficult. In other words, old habits, old ways of thinking, old associations that will hold you back from moving forward. And what's happening here is just that. Moses, by the word of the Lord, comes in to take them out. And Pharaoh wakes up after he lets them go with a bunch of uh, things from Egypt and wakes up and says, what have I done, basically, and begins to pursue Israel. So as they... As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Now, you have to remember, these people were enslaved. They're having to not only make a certain amount of bricks every day, but now they had to go get the straw. They're being totally abused. And yet, they couldn't see that Moses represented their freedom. And getting from your Egypt to the place of God's promise is not a highway. It's not a freeway. And and there are many difficulties that... We have to go through, and let me say why. Difficulties become the very thing that strengthens our resolve to follow God. If you win enough battles, guess what happens? You believe you can win the war. And so you don't win a war just, that's that's not what, you win battles. And so the opposition that we face, both internally and externally, is not there by God to destroy us, but God says, I'm going to give you an opportunity to win some small victories so you begin to believe in me and you begin to believe in yourself. So this is one of the early battles. And it goes on to say, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? You see, we are a product of, at least up to a point, we are all a product of the culture and environment in which we were raised. The battles that your mom and dad fought or didn't fight, you watched. The way they responded to problems, you watched. And you began to adopt their way of responding to life and problems. And until you take a step back and begin to process the problem yourself, and begin to look at different ways to address the problem, you will live life exactly the way you were brought up. And you are an individual. You are independent. You have your own DNA. You have your own fingerprints. You are not designed to live in a culture just because you were born into it. And we have to be very careful in our lives to 
stop and say, hold it, why would I want to go back? I mean, just take a minute. If they would have just thought, man, I think I'd rather die than go back to Egypt. And I can promise you, I would rather die than go back to my old way of living. And, and so any time I start thinking life is difficult doing what I'm doing or being who I am right now, there's never even a moment that I would want to go backwards to where I was. But let me tell you why. I began to see times <coughs> like these where the pharaohs of my past were coming toward me. And remember what I said, we're not, we, we burn ships, not bridges. <laughs> as Cortez, we, we burn the ships saying, I'm not going back. I'm not saying you can't come, but I'm not going back. I am committed to the decision I made to follow Jesus. And if you're not committed to that decision, trust me, the day will come when you will give up, throw up your hands, and stop. And so it's very important that you have this commitment in you, this resolve that I'm going to church. I'm going to be a believer. I'm going to have grace. I'm going to have mercy. I'm going to have love. And, and the people that are a problem and cause problems, I don't have to be around them. They may say things and I may hear those things, but those things don't determine the decisions I make. Because a lot of times we start listening to other voices and the challenge with Moses here isn't that just a few people having a conversation or saying, why did you bring us out here? That becomes an infection in the entire camp of Israel. And when that began to happen in Numbers, the book of Numbers, those people died and never went into the promised land. They began to spread bad words throughout the camp when Caleb steps up and silences the crowd and he said, we can surely do it. There, you have to be that voice of determination that says, nothing's going to stop me from believing that I can get to where God wants me to go. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. He didn't address, stop complaining, you stupid people. He starts with a positive, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord, or deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Basically, Moses is pointing out, this is going to turn out all right. Doesn't look like it right now. Things don't look good. There's an Egyptian army with more resources than us coming at us. They're on our heels. But God is a game changer. It'd be easy if everything was easy, but everything's not easy. You have to fight some battles. You have to win some battles. And, and what's beautiful about being a longtime Christian is even when things get bad and you're tempted to talk like these people, you know better. Your words give direction to your life. Don't ever forget those words. Your words give direction to you. You will follow what you say. And so when you start talking negative, you'll become negative, and then you'll walk out that negativity. You'll live it out. 
And so we have to be very, very careful. Um, and the challenge today, and this is just another little brief uh, excerpt uh, that I researched, is having smartphones and tablets available all the time challenges the brain's selective attention in completely new ways. Now, I'm going to read a little bit more of this, but please don't miss this. Selective attention. You guys have heard me talk about this many years, ever since social media became a big thing, and Facebook and Instagram. And I'm not, I'm not discounting the validity and, and the positive things that happen, but most of it really is not that positive. I think we'd agree. And so you have to be very careful. And it says these technologies create an environment in which we constantly switch attention on and off rapidly between important and unimportant things. It's important to dispel the myth of multitasking. The human brain is not developed to attend pro appropriately to more than one single activity. This apparent limitation actually allows the brain to be se selective in attending to potential threats. Now, A-type people pride themselves in multitasking. I can do many things at one time. And, and some people can seemingly do many things at one time. But the more plates that are spinning, the more attention you have to give to all of those plates. This is why one of the reasons that you have to be very intentional about selecting time for God. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian, and this is a very risky thing to say. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian if you're not in prayer an hour every day. That doesn't mean you're not a Christian. That just means that you are a Christian that could easily be seduced by things that are a part of your past life. There are many Christians who will never pray a day in their life other than the prayer they prayed to receive Christ. And, and historically, religious figures and religious leaders would say, well, you can't even be a Christian if you don't pray. Yeah, you can be if you've asked Christ, but you, you're not going to be a productive Christian. You're not going to end up in God's promise, probably, because you're going to be so consumed by all the distractions around you that you don't even know where you're going. All you know is someday when I die, I'm going to heaven. Now, I'm not minimizing. I'm actually exalting prayer. I'm not minimizing it. I'm simply saying I could scare you into believing you need to pray, and your prayer life would be no joy at all. You'd be doing it because I told you you need to do it. But I want you to know the reason behind you doing it. It is giving single attention to the one who deserves our focus. That's really what it's about. Fasting is not about us getting more from God. It's about us making less of ourselves in our flesh. When you're fasting, what you're telling your flesh is, you're not in charge of my life. It doesn't make you a better Christian because you fast. It makes you closer to God and less attentive to your flesh. So there are times your flesh will scream. And it will want certain things. And you have to realize that it is an effort to distract you or dissuade you from the purpose of God. And so we have to be very, very intentional. Now, listen to this. 
in, um, in the book of Exodus, I take that back. It's not Exodus. I'm trying to get this down here. First Samuel, it says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from Israel, all of Israel, and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, listen to this, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Now, these are David's men. They've stood by him, and, 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 but David is the man, okay? Let's make no, David is the man. God's the one speaking to David, but now all of a sudden he's got his, and his guys had good intentions, okay? They had good intentions, but sometimes good intentions are not God intentions. And it sounded good. If I'd have been David, I'd have thought, you're right. We can put an end to this right now. But here's what I'm talking about. Saul was a carrier of the problem, but Saul wasn't the problem. He was a carrier of the problem. He wanted to kill David. But God doesn't always do the things that we think he should do the way we think he should. And David says, hold it. I'm, I'm burning bridges to the past, but I'm not going to burn this man. Listen to what happens. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. Now, this is the man out to kill him. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Now, let me just tell you something. David had already crossed over from being a shepherd to a king. But Saul was the king at this time. But in David's heart and mind, he had already crossed over knowing I'm going to become king. And if I kill Saul, I become king by the flesh, not by the spirit. If I destroy this man, and he had every right to do so, but he realized if I kill him by the flesh, I will then be perceived as a king by the flesh. But if I trust God and people see that I honor the anointing, and in that moment Saul is the anointed, if I kill the one that God anointed, what happens to his anointing? Then what happens to my anointing? Because I did it by the flesh. So it's very, very important that we address the problems that we have, not because someone else becomes the apparent problem, they're a carrier of the problem, but if we walk by the Spirit, then we're going to treat people the way God treats people. Your boss may be treating you poorly. They may be a problem. They're out to fire you. They're trying to find ways to get rid of you. And if you're not careful, the boss becomes your enemy and your problem, and that eliminates the Spirit of God from doing a spiritual work in your life and in that relationship. 
the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went on his way. Now, the story plays out, and David yells across with the edge of Saul's robe. It's a long story, too long for me to preach today. But David knew in his heart, I don't have to destroy Saul, that bridge. I just have to destroy my old flesh and my old ways from trying to access spiritual blessing and promise from God. In other words, somebody might be between you and the promise of God. There could be people standing between you right now and where you know you're supposed to be. But if you take matters into your own hands, the flesh, then you will have to do everything in that position by the flesh because that's how you got there. But when you get somewhere by the Spirit of God, you will then possess the anointing of God. We don't want to get somewhere prematurely. We don't want to get there in our strength. We want to get there by His Spirit. And we go around burning bridges, and God says, no, 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 no. The bridges that you burn are inside you. They're not outside you. You burn the bridges of how you used to think with your stinking thinking. You burn the bridges of how you used to treat people because that's the way they treated you. The Bible says don't do unto others as they do unto you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's very hard to apprehend the Egypt and the Pharaohs of our lives because when we're mistreated, the first response is, I'm going to mistreat back. You want, Come on. You want to bring it? I'll bring it back. We have to be very cautious. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 3. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, listen to this, I consider everything. Not everybody. He said, I consider everything. What are the everythings in your life? Not the everybodies. What are the everythings that you're considering loss in your life? I consider what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I've left them behind, basically is what he's saying. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, not having a righteousness that comes from my flesh because I obeyed the law, and I can look and say, I've done all these things right, but what he's saying is, I know that all the things I do right are dung to God. They're nothing to God. But all that I trust in what he's done right and all that he's done, that becomes righteousness. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. 
It's our own past challenges that we must address. That's what Paul's addressing here. At the end of the day, we choose what we allow in us and what keeps us from crossing over to the new way of living. People are merely a carrier of the problem. Until we allow the Word of God to do a work in us, we open ourselves to going back to where we came from. There's an appropriate time to pause and say, I'm going to wait. I may have said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. Your will to has to be greater than your want to. I wake up every morning, good morning, Holy Spirit. I surrender my life to you, and I submit my will to you. Because there are going to be things throughout the day that I want to happen that are good, but do I have the will to make them happen? There are going to be things I want to happen that shouldn't happen. Do I have the will to stop them from happening? You see, when you begin to say things, be careful what you say because you will have what you say. Numbers chapter 28, I believe it was, and that's exactly what God told the complainers in Israel. Tell the children of Israel, I heard what they said, and they'll have what they say. And they died in the wilderness. And so we go around without believing that the tongue can set something. It's, it's like it can start a fire in your soul and behavior that you don't want if you don't watch what you say. And so we see this when David's rebuking his men. And let me tell you why he needed to do this. Because he's hearing their words. And I'm, I'm just going to play this out a minute. If they were to continue to say that out loud, that would begin to erode David's resolve and commitment to allow Saul to live free. When people repetitively tell you things, you start listening even subconsciously, and before long, you will act on what you heard because you allowed it in your heart. You don't even realize it. When you get around people that are negative people before long, you like them so much and they have moments of wit and humor that you absolutely love and that wit and humor actually sedates you or numbs you to the negativity of their words. And, and so now the negative words come in because you're sedated, you don't even realize it, and then you start acting like their words and you start acting like them. You get around somebody, if you were to move to southern Tennessee and you have an oaky accent, within about two years you'd be talking like people in southern Tennessee. You would, you would hear it so much that you say you would just begin to do that without even intentionally trying because that's where you now planted yourself. I have American friends that have been missionaries in Zimbabwe for over 30 years, they had sons that they raised there. Their sons actually talk with a British accent, and yet they're fully American because they were brought up in a, a British-language-type culture where the British used to own Zimbabwe, used to occupy Zimbabwe, and now they talk like British people talk. They weren't trained by their parents to do that. Their parents don't talk that way, but the culture was so strong around them that that's the accent with which they speak. 
We have no idea what's going on in the subconscious unless we pay close attention to what's going on around us. So, the very first thing, and I'll only get to this point today, you have to call the problem what it is. You have to call it out for what it is. Oftentimes, we put every decision we make or the problems we're addressing, we blame other people who influence that decision. Some of y'all still blame your mom and dad for where you are today and how you live today and can't believe you grew up in the culture you grew up in. The culture never got out of you. You got out of the culture, but the culture never got out of you. And so your response to adversity and crisis and pharaohs in Egypt is the same as your parents. Now, you're saved. You say, well, my parents weren't saved, but at least I'm saved. Is that what you want to do? Is that the least? You never hire someone who says, what's the least expected of me in this job? Don't hire them. Because they will achieve the least. So if anybody ever says, what, what's the least expectation? In other words, what's, what's the minimum requirement for me to work here? What's the minimum requirement for me to be your friend? What's the minimum requirement for me to be married to you? And trust me, they will achieve the minimum. But we have a least mindset when we allow other people and culture and environments to navigate our lives without stopping and saying, that's not what I want for my life. I'm the middle child. I have an older brother, younger brother. And I'm the strangest one in our family. And I'm going to tell you why I'm strange. Because I woke up one day and realized I did not want to live my life the way my family was living their life. They were born-again Christians, but I watched things, and I thought, y'all aren't really that happy. That's how come I became the family comedian, because I thought y'all kind of depressing. Somebody's got to create some joy in the house, and I didn't even know enough to know what I was doing, but I knew I didn't like what was going on. And I, my dad and I had the conversation one day, and I, I, I was telling him about my dreams. He said, son, life's not a merry-go-round, and in my young, ignorant life, I just responded, Dad, I believe life's what you make it, and I'm going to make it something different than what it is. I wasn't even saved. How many of you know sometimes unsaved people, they just, they just suck it up? And then sometimes the, the, the people get saved, and you give it up. You're like, okay, God, do it all. God is not your butler, and God is not a magician. And if you don't like the way things are, Oftentimes, if you don't get this, you start blaming God. Well, I thought if I got saved, everything would be wonderful. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. When you got saved, you enlisted in the army of God, and you are going to fight the good fight the rest of your life. Notice I said it's a good fight. Yeah, when you get saved, I mean, and don't get me wrong. I think there's a honeymoon period for salvation. At least it was. Oh, this is so wonderful. I'm not as stupid as I was. But I really was. I just didn't know it. God, like... Wiped a little stupid off. And, and then I realized I had joined this thing called Christianity where now it didn't change the world in which I lived, but it changed what was inside of me and gave me the power to now address the world in which I lived. That doesn't change. The world that you're living in doesn't change, but now you have the juice, the strength, the power to make good decisions that you didn't have prior to crossing over. 
Makes sense to me. This is what I love about the writings of Paul. You know, some of you say, you know, I would have been a great boss, but I had a stupid boss and I got terminated. And, and that boss is your Egypt. You're living a life right now that you think was caused by another human being. But the reality is you are where you are today because of how you have chosen to respond to the battle or the crisis of your past. Paul said this in 1 Timothy, but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul saying, Paul could, I mean, you know, Paul was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was, he, he was abused. When he came to Christ and, and converted to follow Jesus, he, was, he suffered all kinds of abuse. And he could have said, I, don't, I didn't sign up for this. What have I done wrong? I changed my life for you. Instead, Paul went back and said, hold it. I was the worst of all sinners. He owes me nothing. The fact that I am even saved is nothing short of miraculous. And what anybody and everybody's ever done to me, I really deserved it. But in Christ, it no longer impacts me and affects me the way it would without Christ. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. In other words, I'm not going to live my life with a victim mentality. You know how many Christians live their life with a victim mindset? I didn't get the position I wanted. Somebody didn't do for me what I know they should have done for me. That should have been mine. You know how many times I wanted to leave the church I was at because I thought I was being mistreated, when in reality God gave me that place as a platform to grow? Time and again, I had to overcome what I thought was unfair. Unfair. It's unfair. Well, when you see somebody being treated fairly, go talk to them and get you some fair. Instead of whining about how unfair life is for you. You deserve better. No, we all deserved hell, but Christ came and gave his life so that we could be forgiven and set free from a victim mentality. Great peace have those who love the law of God. Nothing shall offend them. Some of y'all just keep crossing bridges. That's all you do, zigzag across bridges. Maybe there's something on the other side of that bridge. Maybe something on the other side of that bridge. Look, there is one bridge between where you were and the promise of God. Quit looking for other ways out. Well, pastor, you know, you preached a sermon the other day that just kind of offended me. Get over it. Yeah, about half of you agree, and the other one's going, well, that offended me. Get over it. Because I can promise you any pastor worth his salt is going to offend you from time to time. If you go to a church where they ain't know somebody, you ain't going out every now and then, go, I can't believe he said that. If you're not in a place where you, you can say that, you're probably in the wrong place. I hope I say some things that challenge your flesh, not your spirit, your flesh. 
I'm not trying to be mean. I don't want to be mean. But here, I want us to grow up. At what point do you tell your kid, you ain't breastfeeding no more? That probably didn't come out the way I wish it had, but that's just what I'm saying. No, you got to look and say, you got to grow up. You got to start eating solid food. I'm paraphrasing the Bible right now. Some of y'all don't know it. But you got to get off the milk and get on some solid stuff, and you got to chew. You can't just swallow anymore. You got to chew. Some of y'all don't even need teeth. You're still on the bottle. There we go. That'll go home with you. This Super Sunday, baby. We are not always what we do, but what we do will always make us who we are. There are people who do dumb things that aren't dumb. We all make mistakes. That is not necessarily who you are. That's just what you do. But if you do it enough, it will become who you are. So we have the Holy Spirit to stop us from doing what we've done so we can become who he wants us to become. And this is one of those times, half in, half out. I can't go on from here. I got now next week. I'm just telling you, next, this next sermon I'm gonna preach. You got you got to be kind of around for it because I'm gonna talk to you about how to be good dirt. There's good dirt and there's bad dirt. I'm gonna talk to you about how to be really good dirt the next time I preach. Some of y'all going to come back for this one because I'm telling you, it's really good. What kind of soil are you? What are you hearing? What are you allowing in your life? When God drops a word in your heart, is it stronger than the words you hear at work? Is it stronger than the words you're hearing around you? Is it stronger? Do you have a word receptor inside you that says, I will only receive the word of God. I'm going to be good dirt. Devil ain't coming and stealing what God's dropping on me. You have a destiny. You have a purpose. You have a promise. Live that. Quit looking around at everybody else as your obstacle and your problem. Look in the mirror and go, every problem I will ever have, I can address in me. And I am more than a conqueror. I am an overcomer in this life. Whatever you bring to me, it ain't going to stick to me. It's going to go through me and out quickly. I'm not going to allow it to grow in my heart. You'll get bitter, not better. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you didn't hang on the cross and go, this should not be happening to me. I'm the son of God. I've never sinned. I've done everything right. And yet here I am hanging in pain on this tree. Instead, you said, this is how it's supposed to be, me on a tree. For the sins of all mankind you see. I'm not going to let it get in me. Get this in you. Christ himself said this is the way of God. This is a battle. 
trust me, today is a battle. It looks like I lost. But I will live to fight another battle, and I will win the war. And I will empower you to win battles if you will trust me. If you will not complain, I will cause you, empower you, strengthen you to win the battles in your life. And when it's all said and done, the war will be won. When you hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in. God, may it be. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And those of you watching online, it's a prophetic word for you. Pray it with me. Say, Father God, Father God, Father God, thank you so much for loving me so much that you gave your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. I declare aloud, I am saved. Thank you, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe it's the first time it really felt like something to you, text the word SAVED to 405-513-10. If you're watching online, those of you in-house, in just a moment, our prayer team will be to left the stage. I challenge you to not walk out the doors if you prayed that prayer, but to walk up here and tell one of our prayer team members, today I gave my life to Jesus. Would you keep praying for me? Because pastor said, this is just the beginning. And there will be battles to come, but you can smile and realize that greater is God in you than all the problems in the world. He'll take you through them. This time, I want to receive our tithes and offerings. Uh, I want you to grasp this just for a moment. You know, it's always a, God is so good. God is just so good. Uh, he has a pastor for now for more years than I want to tell you because you can try to do the math, see how old I am. Not that that really matters because it's already showing up on my face. You know, it's, it's amazing. You go from little smooth baby skin to a rough basset hound. And so, <laughs> ever since I've been pastoring, God said, you'll never have to beg, and I don't ever want you to beg. But I do want you to teach, and I'll, I'll, I'll use what you teach to help people get free from financial bondage. Some of you have listened to the words of the world, your family, your parents, for many years. All the church wants is your money. You've heard that, and in your mind, you believe it. Now, you still love God, and you love me. I'm just staying positive, baby. But the fact is, those words ring in your head. And the, the, the devil would love for you to withhold your giving and your tithe. Let me tell you why. Because that is one of the most powerful tools he uses to restrict you from the blessings of God. When God spoke to Abraham, he said, I'll bless you. Why? So you'll be a blessing. He didn't say, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so you can show off. And you can have the finest camel in the herd. He said, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. And so you've withheld because you, you got saved and, and you're going to heaven, but you can't bring heaven to earth because you've decided to do things your way. That's how come Jesus said, be it done on earth as it is in heaven. He was attaching the two, and the way that happens, the willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land. So your willingness releases God's power financially to press down the seed you sow 
shake it together, and cause it to run over in your life. That's how it works. You don't pray for a harvest until you plant the seed. You don't plant the seed, don't bother praying for the harvest. That's how it works. A farmer doesn't go, well, see that 100 acres out there? There's going to be an orange grove out there. What have you done? Not a thing. Then there ain't going to be an orange grove out there. He plows, he plants, he waters, God causes the growth. Why? Because he trusted the process. So, today if you want to give, the QR code behind me, you can put your smartphone on that. It'll take you to a giving site. If you don't have a smartphone, text the word GIVE to 405. Don't miss this number. It's different. 546-2226. Text the word GIVE to 405-546-2226. And uh, you can set it up with a credit card or debit card. Easy to do. Uh, you can also go to our website, mosaicokc.church forward slash give. You can give on your way out if you're in-house, obviously, or you can mail it to 5821 Northwest Expressway 73132. Now, please understand that this is just the way God works. I didn't design it. I didn't set it up, but I'll teach it. And I want you to be blessed. I want your family to be blessed. But if you have lost family members or religious family members, they would probably tell you, don't do this. You know what? Be careful who you listen to, their word or his word. What do you want? You want what they have or do you want what God has? I think I'm going to pick God. God, I'll take door number one. That's what I want. Okay. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come to the left of the stage right now. If you need prayer for any reason, please go and, and receive prayer. If you want to receive communion, we have communion elements over here. You can also receive communion. I know that's very important, and it always will be. And some people, it's, it's a daily thing. Some people, it's a weekly thing. And some of you may not have been taught, but communion is a wonderful thing. So if you want to receive communion, please do that this morning as well. Uh, there are a couple of things I do want to remind you of. Um, those of you who say, you know, how do I get to know other people in this church? Best way to get to know people is to serve. You become a part of a team. And these teams all have their own uh, groups. And, and they're digital groups. They're not physical. Digital groups, you become a part of a group that gets texted every week. Uh, and, and you get to know those people. It's a wonderful thing. You can't sit here and just say, well, I expect everybody to know me and me to know everybody until you get involved. So you text the word SERVE uh, to 405-513-10. You can follow the digital footprint, and, and uh, we will get a hold of you, and you can begin to serve and become a part of a team and get to know other people. Uh, it's very important that you do that lest you are always by yourself it's important that you get connected. A couple of areas of importance right now is always our children's area. I'm telling you, I believe that children's ministry is probably the most important area of ministry in this church. That includes me. That I'm going, you know, I, yeah, preaching and getting the word in you is critical. But when you start helping God's children, something very special happens. So if you want to get involved in the children's ministry, there's the number. Also, in the tech area, you might have noticed we've made some changes, video wall, moved our cameras. So we need people to learn how to run cameras, how to, how to be, run the switcher, how to run the pro presenter that puts the words on the screen. We need to be two to three deep. The people we have right now do a fabulous job, but if one of them has a hiccup on a Sunday and they can't get here, it kind of puts us in a real tough spot. So we'd love for you to learn, become a part of that rotation. Not work every week, but work as often as you want. 
And some people work every week. They work one and worship one. That they have committed and resolved that I'm going to be in church for, I'm going to be a part of church. It's going to be a three-hour part of my life. And you go, oh, that's just forever. And yet you'll go sit in a deer blind for a day and not kill a thing. So there you go. Okay. Bring it home, Pastor. All right. So let's stand. And if you want to fill out a card to serve, you can do that at the Welcome Kiosk. Or you can go online, as I've stated. Also, if this is your first time here, we have a gift for you at the Welcome Kiosk. Thanks for being here today. Let's go out with a shout. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.